Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome. This is the Late Breaking Formula One podcast. We are recording straight after the Singapore Grand Prix. A Ferrari 1-2, the first we have seen since Hungary 2017. Harry E. Dan Samuel Sage alongside me today. Guys, how did you think that race went? It was a, a little bit spicy, wasn't it? I, uh, I enjoyed caliente. it. Boy caliente is the correct <laughs> adjective for the description of the race. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Indeed. Um, so we're going to be talking about Ferrari. Of course, Charles Leclerc had pole position, had the lead early on, but Sebastian Vettel walks away with the victory. We'll be discuss- discussing the strategy that was at play on, on their part, as well as the strategy at Mercedes, of course, didn't quite work out for them. And we're going to be talking a bit about the uh, the transfer market. Of course, there have been a few developments since our last recording. But to kick things off, as I said previously, Charles Leclerc feels like he has been screwed over. He's been robbed of a race victory. Harry, would you agree with that? Um, well, it's clear that the strategy and it, it, it did take the win away from him. But... Um... Uh, if you look at it from a team perspective, they had a 1-3 when they started the race and then they finished the race with a 1-2. So from a team's perspective, they've had a, they've had a great race. They've taken maximum points. But I don't know, they, did they take... I don't know, Minus the fastest lap, lap, but yeah. Almost maximum points then. But, you know, genuinely pretty much maximum points. Um, yeah, so from Ferrari's standpoint, it's been a great race. The drivers were obviously in the opposite order they started the race in. Um I just, I don't know, I, I feel bad for Leclerc, but um, sometimes that's the way it goes. And Vettel was so punchy when he came out the pits, got past Leclerc, and then he was so punchy through the traffic. Um, yeah, I don't know whether Leclerc was ever going to get past him. But I'm not, I'm saying that Vettel, does, Vettel deserves it as much as, as, much as Leclerc did. Um, yeah, so he's got a right to feel a bit robbed, a bit mugged off. But... Um, I don't think it was an unfair call. And again, like I say, from Ferrari's perspective, it's been a good day at the office. Sam, do you think it was a necessary evil for the sake of the team today? I mean, I wouldn't even call it an evil. Strategic masterclass with Ferrari. It's about time they pulled something brilliant out of the bag. They got their first one-two for over two years in racing. They've had three race wings in a row for the first time in 11 years years in Formula 1, they did what they needed to do. They need to think of Ferrari. Ferrari needs to be back on the top first before one driver or the other can be a world champion or a consistent leader. And they did the right thing today. Sebastian Vettel was impeccably fast. His way of executing through traffic was breathtakingly good. You know, took the absolute risk where he needed to and executed it brilliantly well. It was Sebastian Vettel of his premium days. You know, and Charles Leclerc, I don't think, actually had the pace to keep up with Vettel, regardless of whether he had been in front or behind. I think Vettel actually could have closed the gap if it was the other way around. And I think Vettel did well to pull out the gap in front. He carved through traffic better. And when in clean air, I think Vettel was able to pull away from the safety cars, restarts better, and then just carve out the gap more. You know, the gap ending at over two seconds between the two of them. 
think Leclerc used up his tyres a little too quick. I just think that, yeah, it wasn't even an evil. I think that they did the right thing by bringing Vettel in when the gap appeared. They tried to hold up Hamilton with Leclerc. Leclerc didn't have the pace in the clean air that he did have up front. And um, there you go, Bob's your uncle. They managed to beat Mercedes with a position between them. So for me, it was the perfect race weekend Ferrari. That's what Ferrari needs to remember. For Ferrari's sake, this was perfect. I mean, first of all, just speaking from the individual's perspective, just focusing on Charles Leclerc and not the team, Charles Leclerc was screwed over. He was robbed, um, at least of a chance of winning this race. Um, I, I personally think Singapore track position is king. We did not see an overtake at all between the top six drivers on track. I do not believe that Sebastian Vettel would have got past Charles Leclerc if Charles Leclerc had emerged from the pit stops in front. Uh, and as it happened, the other way ha- went round and Vettel... There was no way that Leclerc was going to get past Vettel. Um, Looking at just from Charles Leclerc's perspective, I do believe he was screwed over from this race. And you have to question whether Charles Leclerc would have still been in with a chance of whether a one-two would have happened if the pit stops had happened the other way around. If Charles Leclerc had come in first and then Vettel had come in second, would they have still had a one-two? And that's where I'm getting on to here that I do believe it was the right call. Um, you know, Vettel had two drivers directly behind him in Bottas and Verstappen. Uh, he had to protect against both of those drivers. So I can understand why he came in first, because it then did leave Leclerc in the position where he could come into the pits on the next lap. And the only way in which Hamilton could respond was either A, come in at the same time. And even then he might not have appeared in front of Le- Vettel, who knows, uh, or go much longer in the race, which is what he did. Um yeah, Ferrari, as you re- rightly said, Harry, they started this race at a 1-3, they finished it at a 1-2. And ultimately, that's what the teams are there to do. It's to maximise their results. Um, Harry, do you think that this was purely a strategic call? Or do you think this was a call in order to get the driver who arguably needs a win a little bit more in a favourable position? You're just dropping bombs everywhere, mate. Um... I'm just asking the question. I'm just asking the questions. Little nibble, little nibble, little nibble. There. Um, no, they've not done it. I, they don't have a favourite in that team. I don't, I don't believe it. Leclerc is the up and coming talent, and then they're not going to try and annoy him on purpose. And Vettel has been a loyal Ferrari servant for several years now, so I don't think they're favourite either. I think the initial call was, and even Vettel said after the race, it was quite late. Um, I think the initial call for Vettel to come in must have been, I think, is to to trigger Mercedes because I can't think because even he thought it was slightly too early, and then maybe then they saw Vettel's pace as soon as he came out of the box and thought we've got to have to pit Leclerc as well. Um, and we had Hamilton in the mix of this as well, so yeah, I don't think I think they were just genuinely trying to have the best race they could. I don't think they're favouring Vettel. Well, I know he needed the win and he did need that win, so this it's been a good day for him. I don't think Ferrari engineered it on purpose. Sam, do you think there is uh, anything deeper at play here or do you think it was just a strategic call? No, I think it was a strategic call. I think um, Ferrari have been a lot more open uh, this season, especially with Charles Leclerc. You know, they've taken that risk of bringing on someone younger. I think they've tried to change their ways a little bit. We've seen it on social media recently. They, they're going berserk. So I think they're maybe starting to adapt a new way of Formula 1. And I don't think they're doing the, the team orders of old when it comes to you know Alonso and Massa or uh, Schumacher and Barrichello. I think it is two equal drivers who are both capable of winning races. And they wanted that one too, and that's that's as simple as it was. It was nowhere near the likes of what happened today with Hamilton and Bottas, where a 
leading driver was allowed to drive at a normal pace the whole tyres, while the other driver was told to slow down by two seconds a lap to ensure that he wasn't overtaking. Ferrari played it perfectly for me. Mercedes are the ones that should be looked at in terms of a bit of a conspiracy theory of letting a driver stay in front after a strategy call. Um, Bottas has been quoting after the race already saying how, um, how disappointing he was with that call and how that isn't how he expects Mercedes to play. For me, Ferrari did it perfectly. They did what was best for the race and there was no other ulterior motive for that. Yeah, we will be getting on to the Mercedes strategy call in a little bit. But yeah, I, I agree with you in that it was a purely strategic call. I, I think it works out quite well for Ferrari because, as I referenced, I think Vettel was the driver out of the two that, that needed the win more. Um, Leclerc has already built his confidence from the last two races. And whilst he has walked away very disappointed from Singapore, he still does have the belief that he can get the race win. And, you know, he he will feel deep down that he deserved the race win. And that might well inspire him to go and win the next three. So, um, yeah, I think Vettel needed a confidence booster. But I still do believe it was just a strategic call from their part. And if it was the other way around, they would have done exactly the same thing. Ultimately, it wouldn't have made much sense for them to favour Vettel over Leclerc just because of who he is. Um, I think Vettel and Leclerc right now, what you've got is perhaps the most even Ferrari pairing since Massa and Raikkonen. I think the la the last few pairings you've had Vettel and Raikkonen. It made a lot of sense to back Vettel in 50-50 scenarios because you know most of the time he's going to be ahead of him. And the same thing with Alonso and Massa. Massa and Raikkonen is arguably the last time that Ferrari have had two drivers that are on a relatively even surface like they are very close to one another okay Leclerc does have advantage on Saturdays as he proved again this weekend but Vettel more often than not at least gets rid of that gap in the race um so I don't think it would have made much sense to um to do this because of who Vettel is and whether his contract was playing the strategy I, I don't I don't see that happening really um and then obviously Max Verstappen rounded up the podium um ahead of the two Mercedes what did you make of Verstappen's performance Harry it was solid, solid Verstappen. Yeah, I don't think that Red Bull, Red Bull were further away than they thought. And we went into the weekend thinking Ferrari weren't going to be in it at all. Um, so that's a shock in itself that they got that one too. But um, the Red Bull and Verstappen were further away from the pace than I think they expected. He did well in quality to do Bottas, I think. And then, yeah, they they benefited from, benefited from the strategy as well. And then also from Mercedes kind of failed strategy. Um, yeah, and he did well to hold off Hamilton in this in his last lap. So um yeah, didn't take any stupid risks. It's the mature Verstappen again, as we've seen a lot this year. So yeah, solid solid one from him. Yeah, and after a couple of races where Verstappen has been in the wars a little bit, of course he had that yeah. first corner incident at Spa, uh at Monza as well. He uh, lost his front wing. Sam, do you think this was an important performance for Verstappen to really get back to that mature self that we've seen at the beginning part of this year? Yeah, if you're going to be mature around the circuit, other than Monaco, surely this is the one that you need to be on your best behaviour on. And that that show, I mean the only reason that Verstappen, I think, got onto that podium was because of Mercedes' absolute mess-up of strategy. I think even if they did pull together the ultimate strategy, I think if Hamilton managed to execute the correct strategy, as we all expected them to, I think that Mercedes would have had the overall pace to get in front. But, hey-ho, you benefit, you pick up the pieces. And that's how the likes of Hamilton end up winning championships, because when they don't do their best, they're there to pick up the scraps that they can get hold of. 
the Stafford did exactly that today. And yeah, the Stafford did a fantastic job holding off Lewis Hamilton around those final few laps. Interesting stat that uh, Mr. Mr. Brundle trotted out right at the end of there is you need to have a two-second a lap advantage to get an overtake around the Singapore Grand Prix. Hamilton was never going to have a two-second a lap advantage over a Red Bull, which arguably was the third fastest car this weekend. But we all thought they'd be nipping on the heels of Mercedes. So Ferrari with the absolute shocker and Red Bull way off the pace. So coming up to a series of races that are downforce heavy, who would have thought that this whole scale has flopped over and Verstappen needs to pull something else out the bag now because that Red Bull maybe isn't up to the standard that we need it to be. But he did a solid job with a car that wasn't necessarily up to the scratch for a third place finish. Yeah, I feel like the Verstappen of old might well have done something stupid in that race. And especially in the first stint where Leclerc is controlling the pace, the Verstappen of old might well have overcooked his tyres, trying to get past the guys in front, trying to get to the lead of the race, which obviously wouldn't have served him very well. Um, but he, it was a frustrating one a lot of the time from his perspective because he was constantly one second in front of the car uh, behind and one second behind the car in front. It, it was it didn't work out well for him in that respect, but he, he was rewarded at the end of the day. So, yeah, I think it is a sign that Verstappen is really getting there in terms of becoming an overall driver. Uh, moving on to driver of the day, worst driver of the day. Sam, let's get your driver of the day. Um, for me, well, well, actually, it's between two, but I'm going to go with Seve Vet. Uh, he needed this boost massively. And not only did he utilise the fact that the strategy came right into his hands, he carved through traffic excellently. So often do we see leaders hesitate through traffic. And there was a lot of incidents between those back markers and midfield runners. So Vettel did so well to... Damage limitised, you know, the amount of time he was losing to only connect a little bit with that tour also just the right amount where arguably it was just a little tap, love tap racing incident. I genuinely think he drove fantastic. Notable mention for Lando Norris, who just kept it clean and kept it solid the whole race. Worthy points needing after. He's had many races affected by things completely outside of his own control. He's had a fantastic season and he brought home some really solid points from McLaren. Uh, but yeah, for me, Sebastian Vettel drove what was a world champions race uh this time out and he took 25 points and he deserved 25 points harry same name or someone different uh well i agree with yeah vettel's on on my list of driver of the day um because like sam said he needed it and he it was slightly gifted but he made it work on the restarts he was very canny and making his way through traffic he was punchy but not too risky um others lando norris kept out of trouble the first few laps, brought it home, finally got some more points on the ball for Maka, and right behind him, who almost did him at the end, Mr. P. Gazzle, who, after being dumped from Red Bull, has been pretty good, actually, since he's gone back to Toro Rosso, and today was a very good day for him, yeah, so uh, they're my three, but to put a name on the board, I'll go, I'll go Gasly. Yeah, fair enough, Gasly. I, that might well be his... Maybe his best performance of the season. That was yeah. really impressive from him. Um, for me, this one's actually a really easy one. And I'm not going to give it to either Ferrari driver for, for separate reasons. I think um, for Vettel, I can't give it to him. As, as good a performance as it was, I can't give it to him because it was due to strategy that he won. And I just don't think he would have won it without being put, you know, drawn into the pits, first of all. And he was, he was a little way off the top two 
in that first stint. He was he was never really in touching distance. Um, and Leclerc, I can't give it to him because Vettel managed to get through the traffic a lot better than he did. So I, I can't give it to Leclerc either. For me, it's Lando Norris very easily. Um, we saw in that final stint after the three safety cars in, in not too many laps that the guys who were on older tyres such as Kimi Raikkonen, such as Kevin Magnussen, they all dropped out of the top 10 as quickly as you can think they can. Like Magnussen went all the way down to last. Raikkonen, of course, was involved in the incident, but he was dropping first. Lando Norris, though, managed to hold position. And I really think that was an underrated performance from him to be able to hold off the cars behind him, such as Gasly and Hulkenberg, who were on much fresher tyres. I, I think this was Norris's best performance of the season. I really, really rated his drive out there. So I'm going to give it to him. Worst driver of the day, Samuel Sage. Yeah, oh, full names. Um, now, this is actually a really tough one because I actually think across the field, the racing, the driving was bloody good fun. It was really strong. Even the likes of the Haas drivers. Okay, a lot of people are going to deb- we're debating the collisions later on, folks. We won't get too into it. But I don't think it was wholly Grosjean's fault. So I'm not going to go into that either. And even Magnussen. Yeah, his tyres went cold on the safety car. But I don't think that was his fault that the car suddenly turned off. You know, he, he was doing well. He was doing really well for a lot of that race. Um, so it's really difficult and I'm going to give it to Valtteri Bottas for his mentality if Lewis Hamilton is being told by his teammate back off by two seconds a lap and let your teammate come out in front Hamilton doesn't do that Hamilton puts his foot down he takes that place back and sees it as an overtaking opportunity and I think Bottas gets worst drive of the day for not being the racer I think he almost promised himself that he would be. You're a racing driver. You you want to beat your teammate, beat the people around you. And I don't think Bottas is doing that at the moment. I don't think he's doing enough. He clearly didn't have the pace to get onto the back of Hamilton after they had their little scuffle outside the pit stops. He was never really there in touch with his teammate. And that's the first benchmark you've got to meet. And being told to be two seconds slower and then listening to that and not attacking your teammate when you can prove that you're going to beat them in this race. In fact, been two races in a row where Bottas will come out in front of Hamilton and doesn't do it. That, to me, just isn't good enough for a race driver. So, oddly enough, Bottas, for his race mentality, is my worst driver of the day. Harry? Yeah, it's a tough one. I don't really know. There was no standout, really terrible, terrible performance like, that I can think of. Um, so, who should I give it to? I'm going to give it to Hokey B for punting signs at turn three. Mm. Four. I don't know what time that is. Yeah, that was clumsy. Didn't need to be done on the first lap. Um, and he did recover well, but it, it wrecked signs his race, really. When the Macca looked good again this weekend, as we saw with Norris. So, yeah, sorry, Nico, mate. Well, out of a drive and worst driver of the day. I mean, it's just not a good fortnight. I, I don't, it's a harsh title to give it, but I didn't, yeah. I'm going to go with it. Fair enough. Um, I think it was Danny Kavia. I think he had an awful race. Oh, yeah, true. Um, <laughs> I think of Danny Kavia. Oh, yeah, torpedoed. So he started on the favourable medium tyres compared to the top nine who all started on softs and managed to burn out his tyres within 13 laps much earlier. You know, Hamilton went double that length on the soft tyres um, and Danny Kavia just wrecked his tyres after 13. And he just went backwards from there. And you think, OK, it's not a very good race from Kvyat. OK, right, let's let's write this off and go to the next one. He decides, no, I'm not quite done yet. <laughs> Here comes the torpedo. Kimi Raikkonen, of course, blindsided. Danny Kvyat has the nerve to go over the radio and say that Kimi turned in on him, which <laughs> is just the most hilarious banter you can think of. Came all the um, way from last race. 
Should make that overtake. So hang on, hang on. Am I the only person that thinks that he's making that corner and actually Raikkonen should check his mirrors because yeah, he knows there's a car right behind him? Raikkonen was already turning in when Kafir made the move. Yeah, he's, he's, he's in the, the apex. The space is open, and Gas is not Gas. Kafir is making the corner. He's not going to run wide. He's got the correct amount of speed for the corner. I, no, he, no, he has not. He does. He's making Kvyat that corner. started that move when he was dueling with John Eric Vern. He was <laughs> miles back. For me. I actually don't think this is all for everyone's making out. I really don't. Just like people blaming Grosjean for the, the Russell incident, I don't think that's as clear-cut as it looks. I think I still think it is more Kvyat's fault, obviously, but I don't think that is 100% wholeheartedly Kvyat just being an empty, driving full speed into a corner. I think Kvyat's better than that now, and I think he thought he had the corner, and I think he was making the corner. But realistically, why is he making that move at turn one when he was going to get DRS anyway? Oh, yeah, don't get me wrong. He rushed the move, but I do think he was making the overtake. He was going for the cutback across. The angle worked. He was going to make the corner at the correct speed. He hit the braking zone properly. The gap was left open because Kimmy wasn't hitting the apex. To me, that's that's enough for an overtake, is it not? Every other corner, you'd look at that and go, there's space there. I, Kimmy I, didn't I, hit the apex because there was a Toro Rosso on it. But he wasn't I'm... hitting the apex because they connected <laughs> on the apex. So he was never going to hit that apex. Why turning in? doesn't matter. You look Why at your mirrors. Why does that not matter? You look at your mirrors and you turn out again. Would you not say the same about George Russell? He knew that Grosjean was there. He should have turned away, but didn't. Well, no yeah, blaming exactly. George Russell for that. That was on the exit of a corner. That was not on the entry. It's the same principle of you know a car is there. He knew that he was around Kvyat, and you know what Kvyat's like. So you just got to be more aware. I just Kimmy's got the experience for that. Yeah, come on, so, to be a bit supposed to go, oh, like, Danny Kvyat's 50 metres behind. Better take the outside into this corner. He wasn't 50 metres behind. He, yeah, you're right. He was 500. <laughs> no, he wasn't. You don't slow down enough for that corner. He was, he was closer than everyone's saying. Anyway, uh, even without that incident, he gets worst driver of the day for me. I, I, if that doesn't happen, I still think he had a rubbish race because he was in a great spot along with the likes of his teammate and, and Giovinazzi and in that kind of medium compound starters. And it, it just didn't work out for him because he couldn't maintain those tyres at the start. So, I'm, st- yeah, I'm sticking with Kvyat in, in that respect. So, we've spoken a bit about the strategy of Ferrari. Let's move on to the strategy of Mercedes because whilst it worked very well for Ferrari, it did not work out well for Mercedes. No car on the podium. P4 for Hamilton, P5 for Bottas. Um, Harry, what went wrong for Mercedes? Do you think that they just did not nail the strategy which they usually do yeah no, i don't think they did i don't think they got this one right they and they split it which is a, you know a sensible thing to do split it between your two cars but then asking Bottas to go slower which was unfair in itself i think but i i, I get it but when they're the two i know it's not really a close battle but when they're still the two championship contenders i think it's an unfair call um but for leaving hamilton out it was clear the pace they they were, you had doing the undercut that he was going to get done, even if he'd stayed out for a lap. Um, so when they committed to keep him out longer, they should have left him out longer than they did because they just had this weird middle ground where they left him out and he still fell back, fell back into traffic. Um, and, you know, they could have tried it. I know they wouldn't have made the safety car because that was not for another few laps. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Just an, an odd one, they just... The strategy they were aiming for, and they just didn't end up doing it. And it was this weird middle ground where they just damaged themselves by leaving Hamilton out anyway and making Bottas go slower, which is a, a, an odd one to do. Yeah, good good lap, Valtteri. Now, please, can you not go that fast? Thank you. 
Yeah, a bit of a weird one in that respect. Um, Sam, the strategy from Mercedes, do you think they just absolutely fluffed their lines today? It is the worst strategy, I think, that Mercedes have done all season. Hamilton even came over on the radio, let's get him, let's undercut him. I think Hamilton is so hungry still for victories in Formula One. You know, I don't think he's going to ease off at all, despite being, what, 68 points clear now at the top of the table. I think he still wants that top spot every single race. And he's there on the radio, let's get him, bring me in. And then they keep him out for, what, another four, five, six laps after you can see Vettel is gaining two and a half seconds a lap on you. What are you doing, Mercedes? Finally, they bring Hamilton in. He still comes out behind all the traffic. And then the despicable move, the awful move to say to your other driver, can you just drive really slowly? Because the man that we want to win the championship is, it, it isn't doing too well. We've muck, mucked him up a little bit. And Hamilton might be a bit grumpy at us when he gets out of the car. So can you just stay behind him, please? It's essentially what they're telling Bottas. We don't want Hamilton to be angry at us. Can you please just let him back in front? And that is a good enough. If I'm Bottas, you put your foot down, you get in front, you go, no, that's your fault. You've messed that up. I'm on the better strategy here. I'm taking the fight forward. Not good enough from either Bottas, not good enough from Hamilton for just putting his foot down and declaring the strategy because he knows what he's doing. And not good enough from Mercedes, who get paid an absolute fortune to pull off these strategies. And it was terrible. Ferrari outdid them at every single turn this race. I'm going to defend Mercedes here. I don't think it was a terrible strategic call. And I think they got a little unlucky. It was not the best strategic call they've ever made, but this could have worked out. It didn't, obviously, and Ferrari need to take the credit because their strategy won today, uh, but it could have gone the other way. Um, and I understand what they were at least trying to do. Um, Hamilton, his instruction was, because, he yeah, he did say over the radio he wants to undercut Leclerc, which made sense. Um, and he was told to do the opposite to Leclerc. So if Leclerc hadn't have gone into the pits on that one lap, he would have undercut him. Um, but then after that has happened, after Hamilton has gone around once more than Leclerc, I don't think it makes sense for Hamilton to come in one lap after Leclerc or two laps after Leclerc, because he's going to fall behind him, no doubt about that. And he isn't going to have a tyre advantage at the end of the race. So the, the, they don't really gain anything from just one lap or two laps further further along the line. With what they did, at least they left themselves open to the prospect of a safety car. Of course, it didn't happen, but that was a, an opportunity at least. Um, and it meant that if there weren't three safety cars late in this race, they might well have had the tyre life um, to you know, at least get ahead of Verstappen, maybe get ahead of one of the Ferraris as well. Um, you, like you said earlier, Sam, it does. you need a two-second advantage over the car in front. So it was very risky from Mercedes' perspective. Um, but I at least understand where they're going with it. Um, and if there weren't the three safety cars at the end, say there's only one or even two, I think Hamilton has a chance of getting Verstappen because Verstappen and the two Ferraris were able to nurse their tyres behind those safety cars, um, which I think helped them a lot at the end of that race. Um, with the whole Bottas thing, I, I read a tweet, I think it was race fans, um, who tweeted how much Bottas had to slow down on the lap where he was told to basically let Lewis by. Uh, I think it was something like three and a half seconds, which is just ridiculous. You know, if it's half a second, all right. Three and a half seconds. I didn't even detest the move. I detested the way that they did it because they didn't even confess that they were using team orders. If they had gone over the radio and said... Valtteri, for the sake of the championship, we want Hamilton to come out ahead of you. I would have respected them more than this whole rubbish of basically saying, for the sake of the tyres at the end of the race. That was a load of rubbish to tell Bottas to slow down by 
three and a half seconds for the sake of tyres at the end of it was a load of rubbish and i really hated how deceitful mercedes were in that respect rather than just being really upfront and honest about it so um i i yeah i was annoyed about that to be perfectly honest um sam do you think it was a necessary call to make because hamilton does have a big advantage in the championship it's very similar to russia um when there was the strategic call there do you think it was necessary no i don't think it was necessary and i think Bottas wasn't going to win that race. Bottas wasn't going to get second in the race. At best, Bottas might have got third if he could get onto the back of Verstappen super quickly and there were no safety cars. At best. So, Hamilton's going to lose at what? Two to five points at absolute maximum? The man's got over a 60-point league in the championship with, what, six races to go. I don't think he's really going to feel that here, even if it continues for the rest. If, if Bottas gains five points for the rest of the bloody season... Hamilton still wins by over 30 points. I don't think they need to worry about that. Hamilton's ego can take it. Hamilton's going to be a six-time world champion. Hamilton now has led the most amount of races of all time, joined with Michael Schumacher. I think Hamilton would have been fine. I don't know why they have destroyed Bottas's ego. Bottas's hope of ever being a number one driver with that one call. I really do think that that, that moment there is the defining moment of the Saints going, oh, uh, Bottas. That's it. You are a number two driver forever to the point where we are going to mock you in front of every single person watching Formula One right now. It was embarrassing for Bottas and I generally feel a bit sorry for him. Yeah. Um, So moving on to some incidents that happened. Of course, Singapore is famous for having a few collisions. Uh, Street circuit, of course, very, very uh, safety car prone, as we saw three of them today. Uh, We've spoken already at length about the Kvyat Raikkonen one, so we'll have a look at a couple of the others. If you were the steward, Harry, and I'll just what your action is and why, Riccardo Giovinazzi, anything there? No. Nothing there? (laughs) No, you're right, lads. No, fine. (laughs) What what was... No. Like, it was was a silly move from... It was a bit of a desperate late one from, from Riccardo. He came off worse. All good. It's his own fault. Sam, any action there? I think Ricardo was pretty at fault for that. I mean, it's 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 not great. It's a pretty desperate move. He had the pace. He definitely could have waited a little longer, but he came off worse. And I think we shouldn't be judging that on what happens after. Uh, but Ricardo did come off worse, so in effect, that is a penalty of its own. Maybe. The black and white flag should have been deployed for Ricardo then, because that was a little bit naughty in terms of making. And effectively, it caused Gio to pit a lot earlier, where he may have been able to stay out to the safety car and possibly have had a top six or seven finish. Um, so that effectively ruined Gio's really great race so far. So for me, Ricardo gets the black and white flag, but yeah, I think uh, as a little bit touch and go. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, he did force him off the circuit. So, Ricardo was at fault. Um, I agree with the black and white flag, which apparently, considering there were like five incidents where it could have been used, <laughs> had been retired after two races. Um, yeah, I would have definitely had that for, for that incident. Um, Grosjean Russell. This one's been getting a, a good conversation on uh, social media. Harry, do you think that either was at fault? Uh, yeah, I think they're both at fault. Uh, it was just all, it was clumsy. It, and we said this on, we were chatting during the race. It looked like a, a PlayStation game crash where you accidentally get locked into lock your wheels because that seemed to happen a lot. Um, yeah, it was just a clumsy one. I think Russell should have left more space. Grosjean should have known when to get out of it sooner. Um, I know 
on the break. If you watch on the break, breaking into the corner, he is ahead, and but then Russell creeps back ahead again as they hit the apex. And I think at that point, you saw loads of drivers try that and then cut back again. Grosjean should have just tried and cut back. Maybe he thought if it was a Williams, he could do it. Um, yeah, just just clumsy. So I would, I, you know, would I penalise them? Russell's out anyway. Uh, nah, no, 50-50. They're just being silly, silly boys. Sam, on a penalty? <laughs> silly boys. That's how I enjoy describing these things. Um, for me, 70-30 on the blame. Russell, 70%. Grosjean, 30%. Um, Grosjean is technically in front of Russell going into the corner. The car is just in front. Uh, the the line works better for the inside line. So Russell is able to get his nose back ahead on the exit. But we've seen multiple drivers drive clean around the outside of cars uh, this race. So I don't see why Grosjean wasn't able to do that. And that's where he was going. He was alongside. And Russell decides to just keep opening the steering. Just keep turning left across the track. Because he knows there's a car there. He's not, he's not an idiot. He knows that he's got Grosjean on his outside. So decides that he's just going to keep squeezing and then keep squeezing and then squeezes into a wall. Uh, yeah, Grosjean could have backed out of it. They would have avoided the, uh, the chance. Yes, he could have done the switchback. But I don't see why realistically he couldn't have thought he could get that move done around the outside because I think he could have done. So no penalties, but I do think, well, because uh, Russell is out, but I do think Russell is uh, quite a bit more to blame than Grosjean on this one. Yeah, I feel like we're going to get quite a lot of hate for this one because it seems as if 90% of people think that Grosjean was at fault here. But I'm pretty much in agreement with you, Sam. I I think if you have got a car on your outside, it's your responsibility to leave the space for him. Like, I, I know I know that Russell has the inside line, but Grosjean is in the, in the act of making an overtake. He's, you know, Russell can see him on his left-hand side. The entry into the corner was, was very hard racing. It was, you know just about banged wheels i think um on the exit of the corner russell should you know check his mirrors and just wait to see when he has gone past the car the second he has a full you know car width back he then you know car length back he can he can then go back onto the racing line but whilst grosjean is there i don't know why he has yes grosjean could have been more sensible about it been more pragmatic and and maybe either done the switch back or he could have slammed on the brakes knowing he probably would have got that moved on in the next you know half a lap or so um but ultimately that's that that shouldn't mean that it's therefore Grosjean's fault and I think his reputation precedes him here and I think if it's another driver I don't think he's taking as much slack as he is for this one so um yeah I'm, I'm gonna say it's no action necessary you know Russell's race has been ended but um yeah I think um I think Grosjean's taken a bit too much slack on this and you know, I give him enough enough hate, so um, I'm for once going to stick up for him. Love that. Why, for me, but why did it take three days to deploy the safety car? When I, I was furious at this after everything that's gone on in the last three were, races. I don't understand what they were waiting for. There's a car in the wall. There's a driver climbing out on top of it. It's the same when when Perez went out. He was just walking down the racetrack before a safety car was even released. It. It was appalling how long it took for them to deploy the safety car. Um, what are you doing? What are you doing, stewards? Get it out there the moment you see that car hit the wall. It's a street track. Where do you think it's going? And the fact that the, the digger, or whatever it is, the crane, has got to drive down the, the wrong way down the track to get that car out there. You Get it, get it out on the track. The safety it car didn't, shouldn't didn't be there. The, they didn't put the digger out until the safety car, to be fair. They just yeah, took a lot yeah, of time yeah. to get the safety car out. But, uh, I mean one battle happening when they're not aware of it going around that corner and they drive straight into the back of Russell's car effectively they could hit Russell who's out on track as well so 
stupid, ridiculous. Stupid. Yeah. It's like, okay, the from the moment that the incident happened to the moment the safety car is deployed, there is no part of the situation that has changed other than the driver is now out of the car and in more risk. That's that's it bemuses me, but there you go. Classic Sterling. <laughs> so um, Robert Kubica has been announced that he, on his own terms, surprisingly, is leaving Williams at the end of this season. It hasn't been uh, the comeback that he would have been hoping. Uh, it's been a tough one for him. He has picked up a point at least, um, so it's not without without nothing. Uh, but yeah, Robert Kubica, tough season for him. Uh, and he will be leaving Williams at the end of the year, maybe leaving F1 entirely. Um, Harry, do you think this was do you think this was Robert Kubica's decision or was it an opportunity for him to bow out on his own terms? Um, I think it was his decision. I, I think preface this with it's been an incredible comeback to even get to F1. But I, I think equally it's a classy move from himself to recognise, look, I've got to F1, this is amazing, but I don't have the speed anymore. Can't compete with my younger teammate. Um look, he could he could try and pretend and then get binned off by Williams or try and do another year if they signed him again. Um but no, he look he's mature enough, he's been in the game long enough, he recognises it's not working out. But he could go and do other series. I'm not saying and that's what he's gonna do, I, I believe. So um yeah, I think it was on his own terms. I think he recognised it wasn't working out for him. He's even said it himself. Um yeah, so good on good on him, and well done for not, you know, being that person being binned out of the team. You're the one going on your own terms. Good move. Sam, agree. We as a channel love Bobby K. We are big fans of the poll, and yeah, you, you can't deny what an incredible feat he has achieved to get back into a, a Formula One car after that accident. He realistically shouldn't be driving a Formula One car, um, and has done now for almost a full season, but. Because of his injury, I feel, more, more his injury than his actual raw speed, he is being a little bit embarrassed by his younger teammate, who is pretty much obliterating him at every single circuit. Frustratingly, other than the one that points are up for grabs for, uh, but hey-ho, that's how Formula 1 works. Uh, he's got a point in his final season of Formula 1, and I do think it's the respectful thing to do. Go and drive something that's a little less demanding on the one part of your body that isn't up to scratch anymore. Um He's going to go after DTM, I believe, which I actually think could be really good for him. I'd love to see him racing still, so hopefully we'll get some coverage of that. But yeah, the right move, I think. I think they're going to bring Latifi in, probably out at the end of the season. I think it's the right thing to do. Kubica uh, can bow out on his own terms. And he's made it. It's going to be a fantastic story for him to tell everyone as he goes through life. But yeah, I think the right thing to get out of it while he can. Yeah, I, I think this benefits absolutely everyone within the situation. Williams get a better driver at this point in whoever's respective career ends up being um robin kubica gets to leave on his own terms he doesn't have to deal with not necessarily the humiliation of being fired but he, he doesn't have to go through that process instead he gets to walk away from it um and we get to see robert kubica try out a different series which will be really interesting to see robert kubica is at, at a great career and it seems crazy to think that a, a couple of years ago, or even a year ago, we were questioning whether there were some circuits he was even going to be able to do this year. The one block to Kibitza's re-entry into Formula One was whether he'd be able to do circuits such as Monaco and the one we've just seen, Singapore. So I actually think it's a really good... Um, it's, it's just a really great race that Kibitza has done out there today because 
I feel like a year ago, people would have doubted whether he could do that race, considering how tough it is physically. Um, and actually, it, I think that might have been his best race of the season. Yeah, he had some good battles out there, didn't he? He had a good race. He was right there with, you know, the the midfield at the end. Okay, the safety car helped with that. But I think even before that point, he was doing a reasonable job within the car. Um, yeah, I, I think this might have, at, at the toughest circuit, physically i think he might well have had his best performance so that's really great to see um and i you know i really hope kubica has success in the future uh but from one driver leaving we've got two who are confirmed to be staying uh those are the Haas guys kevin magnuson roman grosjean confirmed to be the lineup for 2020 at Haas. harry do you think that they should have rolled the dice on someone else well, I get the impression that Hulkenberg didn't want to go to Haas. I'm, I don't know whether that's true or not, but I feel I've heard, seen a couple of things suggesting that he didn't want to go on his own terms, which is strange. But maybe you know he doesn't want to stay in F1 for the sake of staying in F1. Um, in a way, I can see the logic because Haas this year have had a the car's been so. I don't know, weird. Like, it can be fast and then terrible and then fast and then terrible. They just, they don't seem to understand it. So I think this the stability of keeping both drivers, I, I get. And maybe they thought their options were limited. But, um, yeah, it might be time for them to mix it up at some point. And, and to be fair to Grosjean, he's not had, in comparison to Magnussen, they've had fairly uh, similar years. They've not had no one's uh, outdoing the other. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who they might replace Grosjean with or even Magnussen. I kind of get the decision. I'm not that. Do you know what? I don't really care that much. <laughs> it's, it's, wow. what, it's what I'm saying with this one. It doesn't really bother me who's in that house car. Um, yeah, maybe they, they, yeah. I think they want stability for next year. But to be honest, don't care. Wow. Um, Sam, <laughs> do you agree with the decision? And more importantly, do you even care? I mean, I, I love the honesty, the absolute ruthlessness of just not get, I mean, until the car's better, there is a limited amount of caring you can give. That car is <laughs> rapidly falling towards Williams rather than fighting with Renault and McLaren where they thought they'd be this season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can only care up to a certain point. Grosjean this season has not been good enough. Magnussen has been good on a Saturday, but then hasn't been able to make that car work. So, again, not really been good enough. Um I don't think either of those drivers realistically have a long-term future in Formula 1 anymore. And what surprises me even more is with Hulkenberg is, I think his wages are too high for Haas to justify at the moment. I think that was part of the reason. They couldn't afford him. Hulkenberg is a Le Mans winner. He's the only active Formula 1 driver to win Le Mans. He's the only active Formula 1 driver to go out of F1 and do something during his current career. Obviously, Alonso has gone away and done well afterwards. But during his actual career, he is still pretty young in terms of racing driver standards. I genuinely think if he wants to leave Formula 1 on his own terms, he's got every chance of being a massive success somewhere else. Hulkenberg is a talented man. And he could do endurance racing fantastically well. I wouldn't be surprised if a team pick him up for um, the new, I think, supercar category that LMP1 is being replaced by, that could definitely happen. And I'd like to see Hulkenberg do it. And I'm glad that he hasn't resigned himself to just picking any possible empty seat just to stay in Formula 1. Because Formula 1 is incredible, but it is not everything that you need to grip onto for satisfaction in life for these guys. And yeah, Grosjean and Magnussen have a drive for another seat. But I reckon come 2021, both of them are gone. And I think it's stability for the final year of the, uh, the current era. Um, you reap what you sow. Come on, Haas. 
Make a move. Like, Grosjean has been there for way too long, underperforming. And Kevin Magnussen, I, I have a bit more like towards Kevin Magnussen, but even he is, is, yeah, he is box office, but he is very up and down in terms of his performances. But Grosjean has flattered to deceive for so long now. And I get the point on Hulkenberg, absolutely. His wages, were they too high? If they were, fair enough that they turned him down. F1 is not the be-all and end-all. So if Hulkenberg wants to do something else, I respect his decision there. But Hulkenberg is not the only driver out there. You know, you don't need Hulkenberg. Pascal Verline approached Haas about a seat and he was rejected. What are you doing? Pascal Verline near, was nearly in the Mercedes seat a few years ago, remember? He had he had a good time at Manor. Um, and if, if Bottas wasn't in the Mercedes seat at that time, Verline might well have been given the nod. Uh, he's been doing all right in Formula E. He's shown his pace there. Pascal Verline has got something to prove in Formula One. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He wants to get back in the game and he wants to show what he can do. Verline would have been the perfect person to put in that car alongside either Magnussen or Grosjean. I'd have picked Magnussen personally, but at least one of the two. That lineup is not taking the team anywhere. I know the car is not good enough, but even when the car was good enough, like last season, they should have got fourth place and they didn't because of their lineup. You know, the lineup of Hulkenberg and Sainz, Hulkenberg in particular, was able to outmaneuver the, the lineup of Grosjean and Magnussen. Grosjean, I just don't know where what you're expecting from him. Like, where do you expect him to go? He's not going to become brilliant overnight. He is what he is, and you have to deal with that. And to be honest, I think Haas will, will reap, they'll get the consequences of that. So um, if that wasn't clear enough, disagree. Well, wait for the um, for them to like have podiums next year. <laughs> hilarious, absolutely hilarious. Also, Rangan Nathan could be up for grabs. So, uh, oh yes, please. That's a debate. I'm not going to go off on one here, but I might well do in a future video because he is an embarrassment to F2. <laughs> it makes me sad they don't do F2 at Singapore. Could you imagine the scenes of F2? In yeah, Singapore? I can imagine the scenes. I can imagine a broken halo in a barrier. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. But like I say, that's probably a debate for another day. Um, it's a great note to end on. Something that has nothing to do with the Singapore Grand Prix whatsoever. Um, Sam, get us out of here. Thank you so much for staying to watch the podcast. Uh, if you aren't watching the podcast on YouTube, then there will be a link to the podcast below there. We have many, many uh, a video that we do there uh, full of the content. Tell us what you thought about the driver transfers. Tell us what you thought about the uh, the events that took place. Was Leclerc absolutely screwed over by Ferrari? And has Hamilton blitz Bottas? Or was Bottas just screwed by Mercedes? We want to hear all your thoughts in all of the comment sections below. Um, but in the meantime, until the next video, I've been Samuel Sage. I've been Ben Hocking. How do you watch a podcast? With, with your mind. <laughs> do it with your mind. <laughs> yeah, he's been Harry Yeed. Keep breaking late. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.